Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profitlessly. I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Paddling Fiction. I am flying solo today. My schedule has been a little wonky the last week or so, so I didn't want to bug Justin. I know he's moving. He's got enough on his plate to, with like a last second opportunity to, to record, so I just decided to do a solo episode. We'll give him the this week off. Maybe we'll do something later this weekend. I, I, I do appreciate you guys sort of bearing with me during this little transition period we're in here. My, my setup here is a lot less than ideal. My schedule is a lot less than ideal. And it's very hard for me to maintain consistency. And I do feel bad about that. So I appreciate you guys hanging with me through this. It shouldn't be much longer. I'm hoping about a month from now, I should be back to my my initial setup here uh, and my initial schedule. And hopefully, you know, we can uh, get back to some more regular broadcasts and and just have some consistency. It's I think it's tough on everybody, my, myself included. Not um, it, it, working under these conditions, I would I would say it's been it's been trying. But as they say in showbiz, the show must go on. So I don't know how, how much time I'll have today. There's a, a few things in the news that that caught my eye. Uh, the, you know, the, the Ukraine stuff is still going on. We'll talk a little bit about that, I guess. But I haven't had time to really go through Zelensky's statement other than I know that he's he's basically begging and pleading for a no-fly zone. So I guess we can talk a little bit about that. We had the Fed uh, just hiked rates for the first time in a while. They just announced this uh, maybe, I don't know, an hour or two ago. The The markets are still open Oh, that the other thing is the uh, that we just had a time change in the U.S. So they we guys moved the clocks forward, but I we haven't changed our time here yet. So I'm still an hour behind the the Chicagoans. All of those, all of you in uh, Central Standard Time. I'm still an hour. I'm an hour behind you guys now for the rest of this month. I think the first Sunday in April is when we catch up to you guys. So it's about two o'clock my time, three o'clock your time. And that's going to kind of throw a wrench in the works for the, the happy hour this Friday. So I might have to push the happy hour back an hour because uh, 530 happy hour my time probably isn't going to work very well. So uh, I'll have to think about that, but we will be doing another Friday night happy hour this Friday. And as uh, I've said before, you can get into that a, n- a number of ways, but the easiest way is to become a supporting listener of the show. Go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com and set up a recurring monthly donation. 
And as soon as uh, you set that up, I will add you to the list of participants and we get to hang out every other Friday for a few hours. It's a lot of fun. But anyway, so um, yeah, my schedule's all messed up. I'm an hour ahead of you guys now for the next couple of uh, weeks. So bear with me, please, if you can. Thank you all so very much for listening. And let's real quick, let's just talk about this hawkish 25 basis point rake height that the Federal Reserve just uh, announced this afternoon. Now, for those of you guys who aren't too familiar with this sort of finance language, economics language, you know, I think, you know, hawkish and, and dovish, you know, the Fed, when they talk about the Fed being hawkish or being dovish, dovish would be easy money, hawkish would be, you know, t- hard money. You know, they'd, they'd be very aggressive in fighting infla- inflation. You'd be very hawkish. So they're calling a 25 basis point rate hike hawkish, which is just absolutely insert. I mean, they, you can't, I don't know if they've ever hiked rates at a smaller clip than 25 basis points. I doubt they have because up until this point, you know, when they say that the Fed's keeping rates at zero, they really mean that they're, they have a targeted range, right? So it's between zero and 25 basis points. A basis point, for those of you guys who aren't familiar with the term, is just one one hundredth of a percent. So, you know, like 100 basis points would be 1%. All right. Now they're doing 25 basis points. <laughs> so you, you can do the math on that. And, you know, they're, they're signaling the reason they're, they're claiming it's hawkish is because they're talking about doing a, a base, a 25, well, a rate hike every Fed meeting, uh, it, you know, next year, I think, uh, something like that, right? Which again, they do 25 basis point hikes. I've seen them do 50 basis point hikes. I, I've never seen anything bigger than that in one meeting. I don't think, you know, 50 basis points is like the biggest you know, the biggest shock to the market ever. And that would be very hawkish. And they're getting really serious about inflation. The problem with that is inflation, even the, you know, the fucked up way they measure it now is like seven, seven and a half percent, I think they'll admit to. Okay. And, and we're going from, you know, zero to 0.25, you know, so now they'll probably target a range between 25 basis points and 50 basis points. And that that's nothing. I mean, you can't fight inflation that way. You have to get, <laughs> you have to at least have rates higher than the the rate of inflation. And if you if you've been listening to the show for any extended amount of time, you'd know that the way they calculate inflation these days is just not only dishonest and deceptive, but it's just a really bad way of doing it. You know, measuring inflation based on the change in price doesn't capture the actual rate of inflation. You know, inflation is not how much prices go up. Inflation is the expansion of the money supply. The, you know, it it can result in prices going up, but not necessarily always a a price increase. Maybe prices are going to go down. And instead they say the same, that that doesn't have any effect on the, the CPI, which is the consumer price index that the government uses to measure inflation. And the other, the reason I say it's dishonest is because they've, they've changed the, the, um, the methodology of this and they've reverse, sort of reverse engineered it. So they get a lower inflation number. 
and this is this benefits the government in a number of ways. They they get to you know all of the the cost of living adjustments. You know the people on social security and everything. That's all. All of that stuff is tied to the official CPI rate, so they get they don't have to you know increase people's pay as much as they would have to to keep up with inflation. It, it also helps with the uh, you know with the measurement of GDP. You have the uh, in, the inflation deflator, and if you get you know uh, a lower number uh, of inflation, you have you end up with a higher GDP to report the way they calculate it. So there's a there's also a whole list of, of benefits to doing that, and I've talked about them at. at pretty good length i think throughout the the history of this show so you can feel free to go back and listen to the archives of that to uh get a little more perspective we can't you know sort of rehash everything in each episode but this this idea that they're being hawkish on inflation that inflation that I, i've never seen it this high in my lifetime you know, that's not the longest track record, but you know, that you keep hearing them with all these statistics. Oh, this is like the highest inflation since the seventies, but it's actually a lot higher. You know, if we were calculating inflation today, the way they calculated it in the seventies, this would be the highest inflation. This would be a lot higher than it was in the seventies. I, I think last time I checked shadow stats, which still gives you the, the old methodology the old calculation of inflation last time i checked that it was around 15 percent. so i mean that's t- basically twice what they're admitting to so this is not going to have you know this is ridiculous this is not going to have an effect uh, the desired effect on inflation of course you know it sends the markets you know markets are so fucking reactive it, you know what it reminded me of today i was thinking about this I used to play a lot of baseball uh, growing up and even all the way up into college, you know, I played some ball and every time I would watch, you know, you go to a baseball game, you know, you go to a Cubs game or a Sox game or something. I was an outfielder, right? So I I was really good at reading the ball off of the bat, you know, reading where the ball, how far the ball was going to travel at the crack of a bat and so I could tell, you know, when even like at the professional level, when you're in the stands and somebody hits like a fly ball, I'm like, all right, that's gone immediately. Or, hey, you know, that's uh that should be a can of corn. That's a catchable ball. That's no big deal. That's a foul ball. You know, I could, I could read it right away. Yeah, you know, there's there's always like the one where it's like it might be it could be it is just over the fence or maybe it carries a little farther. But, you know, you you go to these games with all these fucking amateurs that don't really know much about baseball haven't played it they're kind of just there they're drinking and every time there's a fly ball to the outfield especially particularly i remember this at cubs games but maybe it was just i I don't know i have i'm like biased because i'm a white Sox fan but like every time the ball went in the air the crowd would like erupt as if it was going to be a home run and you know it's like a you know a 250 foot fly ball that my little sister could catch but as soon as as soon as the crack of the bat everybody jumps off their seats and they're cheering as if it's a home run and it's like ah oh he caught it ah oh he caught that one too or oh and then it's a foul ball you know they they go insane at the crack of the bat because they don't know how to anticipate or how to read it and then they're like let down when reality finally sets in 
And for those of us that understand how the game is played and, and how things work, we're, we have the, the foresight to, to know kind of what's going to happen. And I, I, I picture the markets like that. You know, they're, they're very reactive. They're kind of like the crowd at a Cubs game. When the guy hits a, a clearly it's going to be a foul ball, but they all jump out of their seats and start cheering as if it's going to be a home run. That's sort of the reaction you get out of the markets, right? It's like the, the Fed hikes 25 basis points and they're going to hike, you know, there's going to be seven more rate hikes this year and they're going to be hawkish against inflation. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody in the markets gets out of the, Oh yeah, the Fed's getting real tough on inflation. They're blah, blah, blah. They get all very excited. But they don't understand the reality of the situation, which is this 25 basis point hike isn't going to do shit. Okay. Um, they could do seven more hikes this year. It still wouldn't do shit. That's not even 2%. That doesn't even get us to 2%. And the last time we got around 2%, the market's fucking completely tanked. There is no way on God's green earth that they can hike rates high enough to combat this runaway inflation without these markets, all of these markets completely imploding. And the sooner you know that, the better, the less ridiculous you will look. You won't be one of those idiot fans at the game that thinks a, a can of corn to the, you know, to center field is a, is a home run. You, you won't get your hopes up and then have the fucking rug pulled out from under you when this inevitably lands in the center fielder's mitt. Um, the, the, the Fed is completely full of shit. In fact, they're all, they're all just fucking hitting foul balls or striking out or hitting fly balls that are going to be caught. Like they are not going to be able to combat it with this type of monetary policy. You, you just can't do it. That you can't really speak out of both sides of your mouth. You can't just sort of fucking trick the markets into fighting the inflation the way they want to. You know, they're, they're sort of all bark and no bite here. And that, that, that reality is going to set in. I don't know when. As we always say in the world of finance and economics, the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. But it, it really does sort of just feel like we're on the precipice of something big happening. And I've been, you know, I guess you could say I've been wrong before, but not necessarily wrong, but just early, way too early with a lot of these predictions. And, you know, that's almost a distinction without a difference, you know, being, being a, a decade too early and being wrong. Like what, what really is the difference there? Anyway, there's a great line from, uh, I don't know if it was in the book too or just the movie for the big short where Michael Berry is, is talking about, you know, the, uh, the subprime mortgage market. And he was, he was early too. He was like, I think he started doing it in like 2003, something like that. Uh, he started shorting subprime. And as you know, the market didn't collapse until like 2008. So, you know, in 2005, 2006, even 2007, the lead up to it, he's taken a lot of heat for his short positions. And he's trying to explain to these guys that, Hey, you know, I may be early, but I'm not wrong. This thing is going to collapse. And the guy he's talking to is like, don't you get it? Being early is the same as being wrong because he's getting killed on these short positions. But, you know, as long as you don't short and you don't, uh, you know, short markets or leverage yourself to the hill, you can afford to be early. 
And I'd probably rather be early in a lot of situations than be too late. But um, anyway, I don't know. The, this this idea that the, the Fed's being hawkish against uh, inflation is, is laughable. It's as laughable as all of these other fucking things we're going to talk about today. Uh, Rand Paul, who I do like a lot, ha- has a, a new measure to eliminate Fauci's position in the in sort of the healthcare realm of uh, of government, and we'll get to how ridiculous that is. Um, the this no fly zone idea that Zelensky has been begging everybody to to enforce. I mean, this is insane. This is maybe more insane than trying to fight fifteen percent inflation with a twenty five basis point rate hike. You know, and I haven't, I've only seen like some of the highlights uh, of this speech. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I, but I know just from, you know, the idea of having like a U.S. back, backed no fly zone over Ukraine, that that is just incredibly dangerous, uh, an incredibly dangerous game to play. And it's a game that I don't want to fucking play. I wouldn't think most Americans would want to play. Even though you see that there is a poll here that more than one third of Americans would risk nuclear war over Ukraine. Uh, this is a Pew Research poll. It, the, the question was like, do you support the U.S. taking military action even if it risks a nuclear conflict with Russia? And about a third of, of Americans are on board with that. I, <laughs> and it does remind me a lot of some of these people in the libertarian space that are very gung-ho about armed revolution and actually going to into a hot civil war with fellow Americans over freedom, over limited government or eliminating government. It's sort of like the, the Fed talk. You know, it's easy to talk tough until the rubber meets the road and, and the bombs start dropping. You know, this is, um, I, I think a lot of people don't really grasp what is at stake here and the severity of this situation and how quickly things can really spiral out of control. I mean, this is the idea of enforcing a no fly zone. How are you going to do it? How do you do it? You know, we're already sort of playing with fire by sending aid, uh, you know, uh, monetary aid and weapons to Ukraine. Biden is already calling, you know, uh, he, he's sending like drones over to Ukraine. We sent him, what was it, like $14 billion got approved to go over there. If you look at it from Russia's perspective, we are getting more and more involved in this. And the idea that we're going to start shooting down planes or something to enforce a no-fly zone, I don't, I don't see how that doesn't spiral into just like a full-fledged world war again. Over what? over fucking Ukraine, I'm sorry, that is not a red line for me. I don't think that's a red line for most people. I mean, Ukraine, I mean, first of all, it used to be part of her. Ukraine, I'm older than Ukraine, okay? I'm older than Ukraine. It's way the fuck over there. It has nothing to do with us. Why, why would we risk everything for that? Why? It is not in the interest of the American people. This is what, you know, when when you hear the government say this is in our interests, our interests, they love to conflate the American people and the government and sort of merge them into this one thing when we are far from that. 
But that that's sort of the language they use to reinforce all the myths that they tell us, all the propaganda, so that they can get you on board with these fucking suicidal acts of lunacy, like enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine or sending tens of billions of dollars over there and weapons and everything. Like, who the fuck cares? Who cares? You know, it's it's weird. It's very weird being down here in Mexico with all this going on like nobody in mexico is talking about this at all nobody really gives a shit because it doesn't involve them at all you know it's it's not like something that anybody here cares about it's not like in the news here as far as i know it's not like a topic of conversation unless you're talking to other americans so it's very interesting to be an american down here and and sort of removed on the one hand, removed from it, like, I don't know, it's just a very, it feels very weird to see how invested Americans are in Ukraine. And if you just come down here, uh, you know, just across the border, there's no investment in it. The people just don't care. Couldn't care any less. But again, it's just, it's just this arbitrary line that you cross. They just haven't been propagandized to care about Ukraine. Why would they? You know, I don't think there's a lot of like Mexican oligarchs over there or like yeah you know sons of like mexican presidents or whatever that are getting kickbacks in ukraine justin and i touched on this i think the last episode where they've done a you know it, it was very disheartening to see how many people have been just completely propagandized into supporting like blindly supporting this at least a third of americans according to that pew poll are ready to go to nuclear war over ukraine over in NATO, you know, over, you know, this, all of this stupid shit that probably shouldn't even exist. We certainly shouldn't be involved in this. You know, people have made the comparison. It would be like if, uh, Mexico, you know, start, it wanted to like start to invade Texas or something like that to take back some of their old territory and, and Russia starts getting involved in everything. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And this is why it's so dangerous to have this this massive propaganda machine, this war machine that gets a hold of kids from a very young age, teaches them these sorts of values, reinforces this idea of the merging of the people and the state, we this, we that, our interests. It's not in my interest to enforce a no-fly zone over Ukraine. I know why the Ukrainians are asking for it, because they're about to get their fucking ass kicked by Russia. How much longer can they hold out? I don't know. Maybe they should just fucking give up. (laughs) How about you just surrender instead of, you know, sending the world into World War III? I don't know. You know, Johnny the Jew's position here is looking a lot more reasonable. Like, there's, there's just no way... I would support involving several other countries in this conflict over something like Ukraine. Like there has to be a better solution than enforcing some no-fly zone, sending them weapons and arms, like doing this half in, half out thing until, you know, it's like like what we did in World War One. You basically force their hand. You force them to throw the first punch or something like that. You know, World War One, World War Two. You you you, uh, you sort of poke the bear. You poke. Oh yeah, you know, we sent them some money. Sure, we were shipping weapons, but we weren't like bombing anybody. And then once 
we've made it like abundantly clear that we're getting involved in this conflict and they throw a punch, then they're like, hey, they punched us, so now we gotta hit back. It's um it's very, very fucking scary that uh, they're that politicians play these games and how flippant they are with the lives of tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people potentially. Uh, Biden is, is calling Putin a war criminal, which is very interesting choice of words. Talk about people who live in glass houses throwing stones. But the, uh, you know, I, I've also, you know, this is probably like a week ago now, at least since this came up, but he was just openly bragging about um, how these, you know, these economic sanctions have destroyed the Russian economy and the ruble has completely tanked. And so, like, all of this inflation that we're so worried about right now, we're at, like, 15%, right? Uh, they'll only admit to about 7 but the dollar still has a lot of value. Like, imagine if what you could buy for a dollar now would cost you, like, $100 tomorrow. <laughs> and and that's basically what's what's happened to the Russian people so far, just, like, completely decimated their purchasing power. And he's bragging about that. And it's like, he's just talk about how you know, how obtuse somebody can be and how disconnected they are from humanity. Like these are just awful people. These are awful people to, to brag about with no sense of like irony or history or anything like that. Like literally the, the economic sanctions that we put in place after the, the Treaty of Versailles following, you know, World War One, where we interjected and we probably should have stayed out of it, that put in, put in place economic conditions that led to the you know the Weimar Republic in Germany with runaway inflation, which led to the you know the circumstances to elect a you know who, and uh, just crazy to me to think that that's what he's he's bragging about with no sense of irony. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. You know them well by now. They're our oldest and longest running sponsor. We love these guys. We love their premium Italian coffee that they deliver right to your door. So do yourself a favor. Get your mornings started right with the taste of freedom. Go to lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you and you'll get 10% off your order. That's Lorenzotti, L-O-R-E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code FICTION. Get all of your coffee and coffee supplies from these guys. And not only are they fans of the show, but they've gone above and beyond the call of duty as a sponsor. So go order some coffee, order an espresso machine, get a coffee grinder, do it all at Lorenzotti.coffee, promo code fiction. All right. Anyway, this Rand Paul thing I thought was particularly interesting because it, it always amazes me that everything, the you know, every bill put before the, the Senate floor or something like that, it's always an, an initiative to undo something that government already fucked up right like they cause a problem and then we have to pass more legislation to fix the initial problem whereas if we didn't have the government there in the first place these uh all of these bills and these positions that get abused wouldn't be wouldn't be there and there would be no legislation that needed to be passed to counteract it but as you know senator paul and who i do like very much and uh He's been going at it with Fauci, who I dislike very, very much. 
and we we've all been sort of following that um, saga since this whole COVID thing started. But he introduced the bill. He's in- introducing a, a Fauci amendment to prevent health dictatorship, as he calls it. It would eliminate Dr. Fauci's position as the NIAID director, as well as divide his power into three separate institutes. Now, each institute would be led by a director who is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate for a five-year term. This will create accountability and oversight into a taxpayer-funded position that has largely abused its power and has been responsible for many failures and misinformation during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, these are quotes from Senator Paul, by the way. Uh, no one person should have the sole authority to dictate science, especially when that one person wasn't ever following the science. Emphasizing that uh, for two years, our lives were held captive by petty tyrants and power-hungry bureaucrats. Now, you know, you read this headline, and I bet you there are a lot of people that are like, yeah, yeah, go, go Rand, put this fucking bill in there, eliminate Dr. Fauci's position. If you take a step back and look at what he's doing, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This this mentality, this mindset that, oh, you know, a dictatorship will lead to abuse of authority. What we need to do is have separation of powers and these three separate institutes to divide the power that one person has into three branches. And that, that way, you know, there'll be checks and balances and we'll have the president appoint the director and then the Senate will have to confirm it and blah, blah. What does that sound like? What did, what did he just do? He, he took, he basically just created what the United States was trying to do, right? When they were trying to get out from under King George, right? You know, we created, okay, we have this one dictator, right? He's got all these powers. Well, let's create three separate entities, three separate institutes, right? We'll divide the power among them. So not, you know, each one can't do what the other one can do or whatever. And then, you know, the the president will appoint them and the Senate will, you know, it's like we're electing a, a fucking, a uh, a Supreme Court justice or something like that. And it's this idea that somehow that solves the problem of corruption and abuse. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't. I mean, look around at how this system has failed. This is exactly where we are now with every aspect of our government. And this, you know, this illusion, it, it, it does sound good, you know, when you when you write it, write it out and you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to have separation of this and separation of that and checks and balances. And the, the president has to elect, appoint them and then they have to be confirmed. I mean, I just got done talking about the Fed. How's that working out for the Federal Reserve? Right They're They're the separate entity. The president appoints the the head of the Federal Reserve and then they have to be confirmed. But, but it's just like, who do you think they're going to put into positions of power, into these positions of power? Like, you don't think that they would just be three Dr. Fauci's there if they separate into three things? Of course. Of course it would. I mean, the president's going to appoint the per- like they've had ch- they've had their opportunities to get rid of Fauci. He's still there through two administrations. Um, you know, this idea that all you have to do is like create these, you know, barriers and these hypothetical checks and balances on power, political power. There's no greater example of that failing than the United States of America. 
I mean, this is this was an experiment in limited government and self-government, right? The, this was this was the whole idea. We're gonna separate things, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that, and this is appointed, and then the Senate has to confirm it. I mean, it's just one more thing for these, you know, all of these power-hungry politicians to politicize and use as like a, a weapon to get more power, to get more control, to line their pockets. This isn't going to do anything to actually solve this problem. In fact, it'll probably just put more, you know, more stress on this whole process of electing the president if now they get to appoint one more, you know, three more heads, I guess. And every, every five years, they get to go through this. And this is going to be like a whole new thing. You know, who's going to be the, the dictator, uh, the new Dr. Fauci? I appreciate what he's trying to do here. But, you know, his his mind has just been poisoned by this I, this fantasy. It's a fucking fantasy that you can have some form of government that doesn't get corrupted. It just doesn't work. I mean, look at look at what they were able to do. Look at all of the checks and balances that our government has been able to get around. Every single one of them has been obliterated. It's been obliterated. And you think putting up this little thing where the president has to appoint three different people and then the Senate confirms it, like that's going to stop anything? I mean, come on, man. Come on. What? <laughs> like, just think about it. Just look around. And this idea is like, this is what, you know, the reason why the truth wasn't, you know, out sooner and, and the science was was completely perverted and this whole thing was because we just had this one guy here and if we just have three guys who are appointed by the president and confirmed by the senate that will go leaps and bounds into actual science being put forth by the government i mean <laughs> no it's not it's not it's not like we're going to go from appointing a, a dr fauci to appointing to appointing like any of those guys that were on rogan that 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 almost led to him getting canceled or whatever, led to the movement to get him canceled or something like that. No, no, no. You're only going to be appointed and confirmed if you play the game. I mean, look at look at all of their appointments every single time. You only get the type of person that would be, you know, that gravitates toward this sort of position and that they're looking for. You're never going to get ahead of the Federal Reserve that's going to want to abolish the fed just never going to happen right you you would never be qualified um you know, you'll get the democrats in there that i'm sure they they're already like licking their chops to elect the first ever director of the niaid that's like lgbtq and black woman blah 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 they get to do that now. That's another position that they get to fawn over. Like the only requirement for that is going to be your skin color and your gender. Okay. This idea that we can just elect more people or create branches and appoint people and have checks and balances in place would lead to anything less dictatorial. I submit to you the last, last two years of your life. You know, this is, we went through this whole COVID thing with all of these checks and balances and all of these uh, people that were appointed and, uh, you know, confirmed by the Senate. And, you know, all of these things arose in spite of every, all the controls that were in place. And there's never been a more oppressive time in U.S. history for the entire population than, 
you know, the, the whole COVID regime thing. So this idea that you could just get rid of this one guy and somehow eliminate the entire mentality of all of the people involved in this regime is pretty ridiculous, if you ask me. Um, I, I just found it very interesting that this whole angle that that Fauci took or that uh, Rand Paul took to this Fauci problem. It's very, you know, it's very revealing and it, and it reveals all of the flaws in in people's minds. You know, that they can't see a world where you don't have some sort of government entity controlling these things. I mean, you know, we were under the the we were held ha- captive by petty tyrants. So now he's going to put three tyrants in there. <laughs> let's let's triple it. Let's triple it. And, you know, the, the president gets to conf- uh, appoint them. The Senate confirms. I mean, th- these are all, you know, th- these are two sides of the same coin. They're all cut from the same cloth. Nothing is going to change here. It's just going to expand it. And that is the problem with this mentality. When we're all sort of, you have this tunnel vision. We're all like stuck in this cube. We can't, you know, we can't get out of this mindset that this is what we do here. You know, we can't have one director, one dictator. We need to, you know, have separation of powers, not eliminate it altogether. Of course not. That would be way too radical. And it's this idea, this mentality that we have to sort of purge people. We have to purge out of them. I thought we were we were getting very we were making a lot of ground in terms of getting uh, changing people's mindsets, red pilling them on these issues with the whole covid thing. But then, you know, they, they fall back on old faithful with Russia, 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 nuclear war kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden, people are way too trusting of the media, way too on board with the corporate narrative, way too accepting of all the things that our government is telling them. It's very disheartening to see from my perspective. Like I said, not that I think it would have that, that big of an effect on things. Um, yeah, it probably would be better than to just have a Fauci. But yeah, the, the problems would still be there and they would still find a way around all of those things. It's not like the, we're going to have like this wide variety of opinions there. I mean, look at our government now. You have basically Coke and Pepsi to choose from. There's not a whole lot else out there. There's there's not a lot of, you know, room. You know, you have the, the Tom Woods' 3x5 index card of allowable opinion, and everything off of that is sacrilege. It's heresy. <laughs> They're not going to be appointing a, a Tom Woods-type thinker to one of these positions. Absolutely not. It's going to be, you know, somebody from the approved 3x5 index card of allowable opinion. And maybe, you know... You'll get this rigorous debate like we have with taxation between 35% and 39% on the top rate. And that's, that's what you'll get from this committee. This, these three separate institutions will have, you know, the range from a Mitt Romney to Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Okay. That, that'll, that'll fix everything. Oh, and you know what? I'm just seeing now that the Senate has actually voted on this measure and rejected it. So the the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, okay, it's a a broad committee there, voted 17 to 5 to reject the measure. So there's a shocker. 
That's that's the other problem with this form of government. Once it's in place, you have to try to convince all these people to give up their power. <laughs> well, uh, Senator Pat Murray said it would actually interfere with the ongoing rigorous science-based approach at the NIH. Okay, it will interrupt its life-saving work in responding to this pandemic and will have a chilling effect on scientists throughout the government who must feel free to speak their minds. Wow, wow, that is quite a statement there. I The idea that there are scientists out there that feel free to speak their minds, I, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, anybody that felt free to speak their minds was banned from YouTube, was deplatformed, kicked off of Twitter, demonetized, had their lives, uh, you know, attempted to be ruined. <laughs> it really is something. The ongoing rigorous science-based approach. At the NIH. Okay, yeah. All, all these science-based approaches that we've seen over the last couple of years when it comes to masks, social distancing, the stickers on the floor, stand here six feet apart, one and a half meters, whatever from a, here it is in Mexico. It's like, okay, yeah, this is the real, the real sci rigorous science-based approach of taking your mask off for the first 10 feet, walking into a restaurant, and then or putting it on and then taking it off after you get 10 feet into the restaurant, sitting down and eat. Uh, taking it off in between bites while you sit on a plane. All of this rigorous science-based approach. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just so funny that everything they do is the actual opposite of a rigorous science-based approach. Rigorous would, would, you know, you'd have like rigorous debate. There would be like opposing views put forth and like maybe tested. Maybe there'd be some data to back stuff up. But no, no not when you just have one guy there. I guess in that sense, you know, uh, Paul's thing would, would help somewhat. You know, you wouldn't just have Fauci just saying crazy things and then we all have to abide by it. You could have three different people <laughs> saying th three different crazy things or something like that. They'd go back and forth. <laughs> but there's, there's nothing rigorous about just having one guy dictate everything. Unbelievable. So I guess that failed. Um, anyway, the... Uh, one of the last things I wanted to talk about today was this, you know, we're seeing along with the this is sort of along the same lines of all the inflation stuff and the rising prices, we're seeing uh, housing prices go out of control, rent go out of control, like all of the, the price of everything is just going through the roof, right? And Joe Biden, you've seen him out there, at least I've seen him out there talking about and tweeting about like the cost of insulin. We need to cap the cost of insulin at $35 a month or he just picks this random number out of his head. You know, the oil prices, that's a big thing. You know, how, look at all these profits the oil companies are making. We need to cap those or we need to impose a, a windfall profits tax and blah, 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 blah. And now that rents are, you know, skyrocketing. Rent con the idea of rent control is back in the news. And you, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who have proposed a national rent control law, I mean, we've, we've literally bred like an entire new generation that not only knows nothing, but will do, make every single mistake of the past and basically destroy this country, maybe even before a nuclear war could. I mean, this is, I don't think there's any reputable... Um, not even reputable economist that would be in favor of rent control. And yet you're, you're seeing this as uh, put forth as like a, a viable idea. 
You know, oh, rent's too high. Well, let's let's put in rent control. What could go wrong? Well, you know, there, there's a number of things that can go wrong, and a number of um, sort of unintended consequences. New, look, look at places that do have rent control. Places like New York, there's there's a lot of perverse, you know, things that happen as a result of this policy capping. When you put in, you know, price controls, you, you mess up the market. Really, the best way to control rents to get the the price of you know renting down is to build more housing. But of course, when you impose rent controls, you incentivize people to do the exact opposite to build act, to build less housing and to build housing that isn't subject to rent control because nobody wants to build uh and you know invest in a building invest in new construction where the rents are going to be capped where you're going to end up losing money over the long run and so that you end up with instead of a lot more the the so-called affordable housing being built you know low-income housing being built the multifamily structures that can house a lot of people at, at lower rents nobody invests in those anymore and they all invent. Uh, they all invest in these luxury high rises because the luxury buildings aren't subject. To, a lot of times, they're exempt from the rent control measures because you know only rich people live there. So you end up with the exact opposite, you know, type of housing you're looking for, taking like flooding the market, you know, pushing people, pushing poor people out of those neighborhoods. Um, what they really need is low income housing being built. That doesn't happen, okay? The the low-income housing that's already there that's being rent-controlled falls into disrepair. The landlords don't put money into maintaining the buildings. They won't, you know, come and fix your plumbing or your roof or whatever goes wrong because they want you out of there so that they can raise the rents, right? Um, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You know, when you th- just think about the economics of it, think about the, the behavioral economics of it, human behavior, all that stuff. And then, of course, in, in typical government fashion, what's the, the problem to that? Well, we need more affordable housing initiatives. So we need more government programs to build more affordable housing. We need to loan people more money to build more affordable housing. And then you, you get, you know, these things like Fannie and Freddie and all these government-sponsored entities that get created or get more funding to pour more money into <laughs> solving a problem that government created. And all of these programs are <laughs> not only bankrupting the taxpayer, but are going to go belly up in the long run. I mean, we're just starting to see the, uh, you know, back in in 2007, right, before the, the major housing collapse, a lot of these, and I, I'm very familiar with this this market in Chicago. There, there was a lot of uh, affordable housing initiatives, and there, were, there was one in Chicago, actually the state of Illinois, that would give people thirty-five thousand dollars, basically no questions asked. Here's thirty-five grand. You, you don't owe us any interest. It's a thirty-year loan. You pay it back if you sell the house or in thirty years from now, right? And the idea is that obviously thirty years from now, your more your, your thirty-year mortgage will be up. You'll sell the house probably sell it before then. And, you know, since prices always go up, obviously, you know, price, housing prices are going up 10, 12% a year. So they'll easily have a, an extra 35 grand laying around when they sell the house. The, the house will be worth, you know, 10 times what they paid for it when they go to sell it. So they'll pay us back this 35,000. Uh, they'll pay that back to the state when they sell the house. Now, 
that uh, even with the the increase in housing prices now, they're still nowhere near the levels they were in in 2007 when these programs were were very popular, right? So there's all these people that are selling their houses that have actually probably totally forgotten that they got thirty five thousand dollars for free 15 years ago. And now they owe $35,000 and they're selling their house for less than they paid for it. Or maybe they're making a few thousand dollars there, but they're not making thirty five grand over what they paid for it in 2007, you know? Um, and so the, the, these programs, it, it's just one example that I was reading about that just found, I found it very emblematic of the problems with these types of programs and the mindset, you know, when people don't understand what's going on. And you create, you know, these band-aids, these programs, you get caught up in these bubbles and you create these programs with this mindset. Oh, yeah, obviously, this is, this is no big deal. You know, uh, housing prices always go up. We'll give them this money and then they'll sell the house. They'll be able to afford to pay it back. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Th- these types of programs are going to bankrupt these states, the states that are already bankrupt, like uh, Illinois, for example, Chicago in particular. Uh, that's just one example of, of how these things can sort of run amok. But it, it's just it's just amazing to see people, you know, these are like activists, right? And there's very rarely is there an activist that actually understands the market that they're getting involved in. Like you have housing, you know, affordable housing activists and advocates essentially advocating that uh, developers build fewer houses. Like that's that's going to be the effect of, of the policies that they advocate for. And I, I don't know, this is, uh, I, I'm still just like flabbergasted that this has, this idea has not gone by the, the wayside, you know, that there are still people out there that would advocate for rent control or, or price controls in any measure. You know, it's like every time prices go up, it's like a Neanderthal reaction, like this gut reaction. Oh, we'll just cap the prices. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, a lot of things could go wrong. Um, shortages for one, but yeah, in the case of housing, a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, consequences that arise from these policies that we're going to be living with for a very, very long time. Um, unless of course, you know, we, we, we take Zelensky up on his offer and force a no fly zone and, and start a uh, global nuclear war. Um, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I, I bet we'll probably talk about that, uh, with, with Justin next time, uh, maybe over the weekend here. We have a little more time to sort of dive into it. But yeah, just uh, I guess we'll, we'll get out of here on that because I'm kind of running up on time here. Thank you all so very much for listening. Don't forget, we're Friday. We will be doing a happy hour. I think I'm going to push it, but I'll email everybody with the time for that. And uh, most likely it will be 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. It should be 6.30 for me here. And follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Join, uh, don't forget to join the private Facebook group as well. There's a pretty cool community on there. A lot of good memes, a lot of good conversations. And if you are very active in there, I will invite you once a month to a happy hour as well. So that's sort of a, another way that you can come enjoy those Friday nights with us. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back, hopefully with Justin and a brand new episode for you. Till then, you know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.